Welcome to Positive Disintegration Podcast. This is Episode 9, Complexity and Positive Disintegration. Welcome back, happy listeners, to another episode of Positive Disintegration, a framework for becoming your authentic self. I'm your host, Emma Nicholson, and with me is Chris Wells, my co-host. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Emma. Glad to be here, even though it's 6.21 a.m. for me right now. And it's just past midnight for me. Um, but yeah. it's a good, good, good reason for that, because we have our first European guest on today. That's right. It's very exciting. So our guest today is Lotte Van Lith. And Lotte is a lecturer, instructor, and senior trainer on the psychology, practice, context, and the art of gifted development, amongst others at the School of Thinking at the Free University of Brussels and the Buckminster Games. In her own company, called A Lot of Complexity, she guides intense and driven adolescents and adults in their personal and creative development and regularly organises vivid seminars and courses on topics ranging from sense-making and creative giftedness to emotional development. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invitation and thank you for, for adjusting your time schedule. <laughs> We're excited to have you with us. So tell us, how did you first discover Dabrowski's theory? Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, I think it's a funny story because um, I think it was about, let me see, I'm now almost 37, so I think it's almost 13, 14 years ago that I had a, um, a profile on a dating site, uh, lonely and searching as I was for attachment. I had a idiosyncratic profile, so I had a lot of references to, for example, philosopher Nietzsche. Uh, but also many meta reflections on uh, why people are using a, a dating site and why people are connecting and how they how they do this and what kind of norms do they do they do they have. And there was a psychologist that responded and that said um, it doesn't really suffer any doubt, but I think you're gifted uh, and you should look up this theory. So that was like. Wow, when I read about the Brasky's theory, <laughs> that made so much sense. And even though I was sort of um, questioning the psychologist's reference to giftedness, as I thought, well, am I gifted? I never thought about myself in that way. The reading about Dabrowski's theory was, um, yeah, it was a turning point in my life because it made so much sense. So, and the, and the thing was also that the profile of the psychologist that contacted me, at first I was a bit hesitant because I thought perhaps he was trying to, uh, <laughs> try, trying to ask me out on a date in a very original manner. <laughs> but then I looked at this profile and um, I noticed uh, that to me, he sort of embodied all the stereotypes of a gifted person. So he was a researcher and he knew a lot about his topic. And, uh, and I, I projected all these kinds of stereotypes that I had about giftedness uh, at, at him. And um, so at first I thought if he is gifted, then he must know who 
he must know the truth in, in that way. I, I even projected the stereotype. So that also convinced me to sort of think about myself in that way as a gifted person. And that helped me to through this first journey in positive disintegration and uh, learning about myself as a gifted person. I envy you learning about it so young. I wish that mm-hmm. I had learned about it in my 20s. So that did that have a an impact on the direction you took in your career? A huge impact because um, that was also about the time that I was about to finish uh, studying amongst others literature, so liter- literary studies at the university. And uh, I enjoyed that study very much, but it doesn't really, um, you know, at the end of the study, you don't really know what am I going to do, you know, in society. You don't have a clear road. You didn't learn to be a doctor, for example. So yeah, I questioned uh, what kind of steps can I now take? And then I, you know, learned about positive disintegration. And I had such a strong connection with Dabrowski's view on what it means to be a human being and what it means to be an emotional being in the world that to me it wasn't even a question anymore what i wanted to do i wanted to do something with this theory but of course there were there was first this sort of invitation to integrate his view in my self-understanding before doing something with the theory with other people so the first weeks after meeting this psychologist we had or months almost a year maybe, we had a lot of conversations about uh, personality development, about the psychology of gifted persons, but also psychology in a more general sense, about emotional development, spiritual development. And that had also a therapeutic effect on me, of course, Um, just meeting with a like-minded person and then talking about these topics that resonated so much with my inner experience. And while I grew through that experience, I felt all the more uh, enthusiastic and committed to uh, our shared intention to share the theory with other people. So he stopped doing his research or academic work, and we both started to give workshops around Dorowski's theory. Um, and, And, you know, we started out like with four or five people in the room. Uh, and just, uh, uh, you know, recreating stuff and experimenting. So how can you, uh, for example, the subject object dynamism, how could you uh, work with that in a group? So we did role playing, for example, and just experimenting how to translate the abstract theory into concrete exercises, uh, concrete experience. So that was the beginning really like. Do you think, um having applied the theory to your own life first and having some something to attach it to made a big difference in those experiments that you were trying and being able to apply that then to other people. Do you think it's important to first have a grasp of any psychological theory, you know, how it applies to you personally before you can apply it to other people? When it comes to these kinds of theories, yes, because at the core of this theory is emotional development and emotion the experience of emotion and of being an emotional being in the world is very uh is a very at at the one hand it's a very subjective individual experience on the other hand it's something that connects us all you know it's the one thing that makes you authentic and it's the one thing that attaches you to other people or through which you experience your attachment and it's exactly this experience that is at uh, is is central to understanding what Dabrowski is writing about 
So yeah, part of the self-reflection is, is, you know, what do you experience as an emotion? How do you interpret it? What kind of behavior is related to it? W what are your values? All these questions are very personal. Uh, so if you don't relate the abstract theory to the personal experience, then I think the whole theory becomes a bit, how you say that in English, hollow. <laughs> it, you know, there, it, it's all the, the meaning is stripped out of it. And, and I think it's also Dabrowski himself that says, you know, the emotional component of uh, life gives it its meaning, which to me sort of under, understripes the idea that the personal experience is very important in understanding the theory he, he, he wrote. Yeah, I agree with that very strongly that I have seen how problematic it is when people try to learn about the theory by reading about it intellectually without having the emotional connection with it or really understanding it. I mean, I feel like when I came to the theory, I just understood it intuitively, viscerally. It just made sense from my own um, lived experience. And, you know, it's interesting to me too, like, I, I think it matters for my clients that I've lived these things and they see that I know what I'm talking about because I've been through this and I just feel a connection with people in that way when I'm working with them. It's interesting to work with Dabrowski's theory compared to other therapeutic perspectives. What you learn when you're becoming a clinician, at least in the United States, is to have like this detached kind of way of doing it. And I hate to say it, but I find myself working with the theory in my practice that I am going farther and farther away from what I learned as a in school, you know, or like in, in practice, even with other people I know. Yeah, maybe I think also that, you know, um, there are, of course, there are a lot of different theories about psychology and uh, we try to do science in psychology and it's quite a challenge because there's so much complexity when it comes to individuals, society, culture at large, <laughs> um, our biology. Um, and I think all the same, there are a lot of different methods also, and many much more concrete than reading Dabrowski's theory. But in Dabrowski's theory, emotional insight is the method itself that is the method through which you you know learn that's also for for many professionals reading about Dabrowski's theory actually in some way sets them free to actually use their lived experience as a reference for the questions that they encounter in their practice uh, so yeah i feel that very strongly i guess <laughs> Uh, that's something I really love about it is that it's so freeing to me to work with this because it's so unlike anything else I learned about while I was learning how to do this kind of work. And so it's it's been freeing and cool for me just personally. I want to ask you about complexity because when I was working on my origins of overexcitability paper with Frank, one of the things that was really clear to us was that with, because you know, Dabrowski saw everything in terms of levels in the theory. And so he saw overexcitability in terms of levels too. And when we were trying to figure out how to talk about that, it seemed really clear that, uh, that overexcitability at a higher level is much more complex than lower level overexcitability, and which makes sense. But when you attach that with giftedness, you can especially see complexity involved like giftedness 
to my mind, like a hallmark of giftedness is complexity. Gifted people are complex. They grapple with things in a completely different way than people who are not gifted. Talk to us about complexity in Dabrowski's theory. You know, your business is called a lot of complexity. Like, let's talk about complexity. I mean, that is the topic of this episode. Yeah, so uh, I love the word, first of all, complexity, because this is also something that sort of sets me free to, to be the person I am, uh, but also to see the complexity of life in a general sense. Uh, and once you look at the complexity of life through the lens of emotional development, you really see all the paradoxes that are inherent in human experience and, and how life you know, unfolds for you. And I think Dabrowski has done a really good job in honoring this complexity, while at the same time sort of modeling the development and the growth dynamics that are part of this complexity. So at the same time, painting a holistic picture or providing us with a holistic understanding of what it means to be a human being. And then at the same time, creating an analysis of what this um, life which involves for you, which includes emotional development, will offer you in the, in, in the form of challenges. And what do you need to cope with these challenges on an emotional level? So that to me, or maybe also to my own complex thinking, made a lot of sense. Um, and I think when it comes to giftedness and complexity, uh, you know, a human being has, you could say, two, two strong needs to be authentic and to attach. And if you look at giftedness, you will see that a gifted person has this natural tendency to increase the complexity in their life. And at the same time is a normal human being that wants to be authentic and wants to attach. And here you have a potential uh, space of conflict, you know, because for every human being, I guess, generally speaking, of course, I don't, I haven't spoken to every human being, but I imagine this is the case. <laughs> uh, the person wants to be authentic and needs that also. You have to know when you have to run, basically evolutionary, but you also have to know when you want something or don't want something and to how to uh, create the possibilities in your life to fulfill this goal or these needs. At the same time, there's this attachment and you, you know, you want to uh, be part of a bigger bigger picture, you want to be part of a group, you want to be taken care of, you want to be mirrored by other people to be understood. It's a very important need also. And when you think about gifted people that the tendency is to increase the complexity in their life, they have a natural tendency to be more authentic, to differentiate themselves more clearly than other people, self-actualize, Oh, this is what I really want. Oh, 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 I have a very strong sense of justice when it comes to these kinds of topics. And I have my own clear opinion about that. Um, and at the same time, the potential to integrate that differentiation in a more, um, let's say, well, maybe not more, but in a qualitatively different way to, for example, offer other people the insights that the other people can use to understand parts of life better. If you look at a researcher, a gifted researcher, for example. Um, so here you have, when it comes to giftedness, you have this strong dynamic between being an authentic human being and on the other hand, integrate that uh, in your connections with the society, with the group you're part of. And I think that so the, the basic uh, conflict that can already be part of a human being, being authentic or attach yourself is sometimes enlarged when, or, or intensified when it comes to gifted people and from a framework of complexity that makes just a lot of sense 
you know so 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 uh, so a gifted person uh, looking at themselves from that perspective sort of feels potentially feels legitimized that it's okay to experience these conflicts and you know if we think about Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegration then the conflicts that you might experience um, when you both differentiate and integrate or you have these needs to differentiate and integrate also make sense and are also um, backed up so to speak by your development by your emotional development so for example somebody exercising autopsychotherapy is capable of dealing with more complexity in their life in the form of intense emotions that you feel when you um, go for a new challenge and you want to explore something and you know it's scary and you feel these emotions and you have learned how to cope with these emotions very important if you're a gifted person and you feel generally attracted to complexity because you will probably feel also some developmental instability and some you know intense emotions that come along with doing something that's new for you then the autopsychotherapy is very important to have you know to to be able to to recognize what kind of emotion you experience and what need is expressed by these emotions and also what you can do for yourself to regulate them in a self-compassionate and also empathetic manner towards other people so then that makes a lot of sense like okay i'm a gifted person i i naturally feel attracted to increasing complexity in my life if i want to do that i naturally also will feel the challenge to be a good auto therapist for myself because otherwise you know i will suffer the giftedness more than i will enjoy it and i won't be able maybe even more important i won't be able to uh, both be authentic and be of true value for other people you really have me thinking right now about the problem that gifted people face when they don't realize that they're gifted and that this is what is at the root of their individual difference um, compared to other people in their lives. Like you're making me think of people who come to me as clients who have just made this discovery about themselves in adulthood. And now everything is making sense to them and they have a sense of kind of regret or grief around the fact that they tried to be normal for so long. And this resonates with me too, even though I knew I was gifted growing up, I spent so many years of my life trying to fit in and be normal until I kind of gave myself permission to stop doing that and embrace who I really was and be authentic and be myself. And that's when I think auto psychotherapy really was able to work for me because I stopped trying to do what might make me normal because, you know, I was never going to be normal. <laughs> there was there was no way to make that happen. It was a goal that couldn't even be reached. And so this is a problem, I think, for gifted people who, you know, whether they know it or not, you know, you don't, it's uncomfortable and difficult to be an outlier because it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. Or even on the flip side of that, where you do know that you're gifted and you just think to yourself, why can't I adult properly? If I'm so smart, why can't I make myself fit? Why can't I cope like everybody else is? So whether you know it or not, it's that not fitting, that not being able to like stick a square peg into a round hole kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that, you know, some there's also something very interesting about actually inviting a gifted person to be more complex than they're already used to 
you know so and also in an invitation that has a lot to do with understanding how life works i don't I, I'm, I'm not sure of course how life works but you try to understand it and complexity is just an interesting perspective to do so to say yes of course you're trying to fit in because you have an attachment need and you have a need to be authentic it's not either or you know and that's where the multi-level development really can start to kick in that there's there's so much many levels to understand this process on and also that the complexity is something that you can try to reduce for a certain period in your life but you will always suffer you will always suffer because you are this complex person so for me it's always you know when you start to see for example the grief that what the grief uh, chris was referring to um, I think that's such a strong uh, reflection of the, of the human potential to process and integrate complex experiences. So I appreciate such grief immensely, um, even though my response in a one-on-one -on -one interaction is subtle, I, I appreciate it intensely because it's actually when you start to grieve about it, you become more open again to new complexity in your life and also the complexity of your own giftedness, uh, which Chris was also referring to. Like, for example, you know, being complex because your thought processes are deep, uh, are the, the breath is, is, is more than other people, the, the, the speed is impressive. All these things that also have an impact on how you experience the complexity of life I took a road trip in October and I was driving to Wisconsin and I listened to your podcast interview with Nadia on Unleash Monday. And I loved how you talked about emotional development with her. And just in your conversation, it that's when I knew it's funny to me now in retrospect, because we were, I mean, I want to say that that was the week we released our first episode in October. And so, you know, in my mind, I was thinking about who I wanted to ask to come on our podcast. And that's totally, you know, what made me reach out to you because I thought this is, this is what I want to talk about. We, the emotional connection for me is such a huge deal. And when I was young, I think the thing that was holding me back the most was that because I feel things so intensely, I shut myself down when I was young and I became a really kind of angry person and didn't because it was too overwhelming for me. And so in some ways, I feel like my whole adult life has been this unfolding of learning how to feel intensely, but not hang on to my feelings and not obsess about them. Or I don't know, it's just like, to me, this is I think why Dabrowski's theory made so much sense to me when I came to it, there was no other place where I saw myself so clearly, but it was shocking to see that from his perspective, to have these intense emotions wasn't something that was wrong with me. It wasn't a personality disorder. You know, it wasn't like a character flaw. It was something to be embraced and, and celebrated. And, so the more I've learned to allow myself to feel and to to trust my feelings and to connect with others, I guess that's another thing is I love how you bring attachment into the picture too, because, you know, to attach with other people is really critical. But anyway, emotional development, 
like, can we talk more about how complex that is? Because, you know, when you have feelings that are overwhelming, it is like, I think the challenge of a lifetime for somebody who feels too intensely and has this intense intellectual process to be able to integrate and not be overwhelmed and derailed repeatedly in their lifetime. How do you help people learn to be authentic and feel with such a deep process? This is something that I am still learning how to do with people, you know, from a kind of clinical point of view. I'm I'm also still learning, but I think, you know, probably there will always be the case, (laughs) Um, uh, seeing the complexity of human beings. Um, You know, there's so many different layers because processing emotions or how we cope with emotions, uh, particularly intense emotions. There's, of course, the layer of cognitive understanding. Um, So the the perspective of giftedness, for example, on yourself, which can be sort of which can create understanding and and acceptance and and a healthy form of, of, um, let's say, self-compassion, self-pride also maybe in in the potential that you that you've expressed already in certain creative expressions, etc. That's a cognitive perspective or cognitive layer, so to speak. And even there you have the multi-level development already. So maybe first there is the identity development that's more about yourself and trying to understand yourself as a gifted person. But then there's also a next level, so to speak, of, okay, how do you relate to the world uh, now that you understand yourself better? What kind of values do you have and what do you want to create in this world also through your giftedness, which is, again, maybe also a cognitive question that you pose yourself, but it's already an, a different kind of development. So this is something, and I think, of course, when it comes to intense emotions, the, the body is very important. Uh, and the body is the place where it happens uh, for you and where you can also work with it. So um, I generally have the uh, impression that there are quite a lot, not everybody, but are quite a lot of gifted people that have at least the potential of a very acute interceptive awareness of what is going on inside of their body. Uh, but they've learned to suppress that a lot um, or to intellectualize it. So maybe they communicate with other people in such a way that they eloquently, verbally eloquently say, oh, I noticed that I'm getting angry. And then their face is very, um, I don't know the English word for it, but you know, the other person doesn't see the anger physically or physiologically even, you know, notice it, doesn't notice anything and doesn't really also gets the bodily feedback that the other person is indeed angry. There's no signal that, that actually what the person is saying is important and uh, you need your attention. Um, So they don't get mirrored at that moment they don't get mirrored the gifted person didn't don't get doesn't get mirrored in the other person saying oh okay so if you're angry maybe we should sit down and speak about what you feel and what's important for you and i can listen that's a problem of course so even though there's an intense experience because of the intellectualizing the relation the quality of the relationship isn't really high so there you start to work of course with so trying to uh, trying to create a vocabulary through which uh, the sensations that are felt can be recognized and communicated more concretely and directly, but also working with movement, I think is very an interesting uh, perspective. Uh, So um, something that you see, for example, also in the use of the theory U, I don't know if you're you're, um, uh, familiar with it, 
um, but is uh, the question okay if 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 you would uh, express your express how you feel about a certain situation in which you feel stuck in a movement how would that how would you show that and then you know the person gets to learn their uh, automatic reactions or their intuitive reactions or whatever their body is actually conveying but in a language that they are not used to notice and when you try to when you do this with gifted persons that are committed to this process of self-awareness there's of course also the chance that they learn quite fast because that's part of who they are so i really enjoy it to work with them in such a way that they make a connection between that intellectualizing and appreciate also the fact that they understand things from an intellectual perspective so also you know uh, relate to that i'm not trying to suppress it in any way i try to relate to it and also engage intellectual thinkers to think about their emotional life maybe in a bit more poetic way for example but also relate the intellectual understanding to the very concrete visual bodily experience that one has and the nice thing about this is that it makes sense it not only gives them emotional insight but also the ability to understand who they are to understand how to communicate with other people but also it makes sense about what life is because once they see the logic in their emotional experience that helps them to be compassionate because logic is an important aspect of being also an intellectual intense person so these are all these different kinds of ways I work with people, I guess. But another thing that I think is also quite important, and I touched upon it briefly, is um, to invite them to express themselves in a creative manner. So to, to explore creative outlets of their intensity, because a creative expression, even also when, it, when, it, when that means a creative conceptual thought process, means uh, or provides the person with the potential to be intense, to be in, as intense as you are, but it doesn't have the effect that another person um, uh, finds it threatening or, you know, gives a feedback that what you said derails the person from whatever what was important for them. So creative outlet, I think, is also a very nice way to develop emotional insight without focusing on it per se. So through the creative process, there's this expression of intensity. And at the same time, there's a lot of learning going on about how does it work? How does such a process work? And what does it say about me when I feel when I feel frustrated? But that actually provides me with more critical questions when it comes to this creative conceptual work I'm doing. That's an insight, you know. So um, yeah, I really like to work also with creativity because there's so much in it that can be uh, insightful for a gifted person. That's very interesting you're talking about creativity because I think um, as a society, we tend to separate creativity and intellect, which if you look at someone like da Vinci is probably a little bit incorrect, but do you think there's still some sort of stigma, like hangover in society about what it means to be an intellectual and I'm thinking of, you know, those pop culture things that we have, like Mr. Spock, you know, the Vulcan who forgoes his emotions in order to, to stick to his logic, even like Jekyll and Hyde, where you've got that raging emotional monster versus the intellectual scientist. And, and even for more modern stuff, and spoiler alert, if you haven't been watching the book of Boba Fett, and I apologise to everybody, this whole thing of 
you know, Jedi mastering the mind by forgoing their emotional attachments and, you know, the whole thing of, you know, baby Yoda, Grogu having to make that choice between does he choose the Mandalorian way of having attachments to the people he loves or does he choose the Jedi path and achieve mastery, but he has to let go of his emotions. So do you think that there's still some hangover in society about the fact that logic and emotions don't go hand in hand? In fact, they must be separated and therefore creativity and intellect has also at some point been separated in people's minds. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's, it's, 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 it's an example, I guess, of a, of a unilevel understanding. I see this in practice almost every day that gifted person, for example, is struggling with being both an intellectual being that adores intellectual questioning and uh, is very expressive on, on, a, on a bodily level. So, for example, just um, uh, not so long time ago, I, 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 I guided somebody that actually did also performance art and at the same time was a philosopher. And the person was so struggling inside of himself, like, is it, is it possible to be a philosopher and a performance artist at the same time? <laughs> Can I, is it okay to be a critical thinker and work through a creative process that really doesn't demand me to think in a focused manner? Because the creative process around the performance art was very implicit. The thought process was, were very implicit, were very uh, associative. And, and divergent in the background, so to speak. He was creating his performance while he was sleeping. <laughs> That's different from, you know, creating a philosophical paper that needed really a focused attention. So uh, this cultural, these cultural ideas or maybe even convictions still uh, are very much part of uh, intimate inner conflicts of people. And I think that's problematic, all the more so when it comes to when it comes to the importance of emotions, because emotional understanding is so very much important for other uh, parts of your life to be healthy. It's connected to all other parts of your or all other parts of our lives. Generally, tend to see it culturally, societally. You know, I think as something le of less importance is really. It's, it's sad. I mean, it makes me very sad. Also because it's very much, I think, related to how leaders, for example, what kind of decisions that they make and how they relate themselves to the people uh, that uh, uh, live the consequences of their decisions. So, yeah, we have a lot to do <laughs> uh, after Descartes' idea. <laughs> I think, therefore, I am. Yeah. You just made me think of another issue that I run into with clients pretty regularly, and that is the suffering that I see people describe from growing up with parents who are emotionally immature. And so if you grow up with parents who are emotionally immature, who can't deal with the emotions of their children, then they tell their children that their experience of emotion is invalid or they can't deal with it in a variety of ways. And this is just something that I think creates a lot of suffering way beyond what we recognize. You know, we're, and I say this as a parent, and I know that you have a young daughter. And, and so I've watched, you know, because we're Facebook friends, I can see how great you are with your daughter. And it really warms my heart. But sometimes it like, I realize that, you know, I have a son who is a teenager now, 
And I wish that I could go back in time and deal with him better than I did because, you know, he was a really intense kid. And I wish that I had been a better parent around being with him in the moment when he was intense and really honoring and respecting his experience of intensity. Because when you're a parent and your kid, let's say your kid is kind of melting down in a restaurant or somewhere, you know, your instinct is to be like, stop it you know, like to shut them down and make them behave. And, you know, instead of honoring who they are and finding a way through that in a, you know, a, like a more authentic way. And so this is just another area that, you know, I just see in clients where if you have a really intense experience of emotions and your parents always told you that that wasn't okay and shut you down, then as an adult, it's even harder for you to to find a way out of that and to be who you really are. And then also like, you know, these people have children and then they kind of repeat this cycle with their kids. And so, you know, this is just, I'm not sure that there's a question here, but this is just another thing that I think about when it comes to emotions and how, you know, it's so much more complicated than we realize. And we tend to, I think, repeat these experiences with our own children unless we're very intentional and careful about it yeah and maybe maybe when we speak about this topic it's okay not to have questions because because the comments you know are just part of our lived experience we notice we notice what is important and how we struggle and this is a continuous question so it's not even you cannot even articulate one concrete question it would be much more simple if we could do that and just have one answer but we continue to struggle with this uh, i also do that i mean uh, I, I notice it in my in my own life now when our daughter is two years old and she's quite intense with with her emotions and uh, I struggle because I have a a personality ideal I want to be a sensitive person and for me sensitivity is sort of the developmental potential of intensity so I can feel emotional intensity in my body and notice it in, in my thought processes and etc or the way I act but my ideal image of a personality is okay i want to channel that intensity in a sensitive manner as a sensitive person and then i have my daughter that's very intense in moments and i i struggle a lot like okay how much of this i can can i contain and while remaining a sensitive person and of course there are many moments when i when i struggle and and i fail and I know that the moment that I feel feel that, that the invitation is again to reconnect with her and reconnect with my own bodily experience of the intensity. And that will recreate sort of a, se a sensitive space for both of us to explore what is needed, what we can do. But it's 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 an ongoing question. It's an ongoing question because every time, you know, you connect with another human being, and that makes it also very interesting for a gifted mind to analyze it. You are dealing with a different value system. So that's that's a lot of increasing complexity there in that moment of connection. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoy the ride, but it's uh, <laughs> it's intense, as we say. I want to ask you about your book. You had a book come out in, I think, May 2021 last year, Intense Ment. And so please tell us about your book. I know it in Dutch and I wish that I could read it in English. And so I wonder too about that, if there's going to be a translation or so please. Yeah, um, it's the book is a sort of, um, there are many different lyrical reflections in the book. 
on themes such as giftedness, but also emotional development and sense-making creativity. I wanted to create a, a text in which also the form would communicate intensity. So there you have the lyrical <laughs> element. And I was also very much sort of influenced, inspired by the work of writers that I that I got to know on the, while studying literature. And the sort of sometimes Baroque style that I read resonated a lot with the experience of intensity. So that influenced me, inspired me to write these lyrical reflections. And I noticed now also that people reading the book feel very much, feel, feel a lot of recognition. It's recognition, but it's also, it also provides sort of an active acceptance of being intense. So I'm very uh, thankful, um, grateful, you say, grateful for the response that I get um, on these uh, reflections. And yeah, I think I would really enjoy making an English version, um, but that would demand a literary translation. And I'm still a bit struggling whether I could be the one creating that or I should ask somebody else. But uh, keep asking, please, because that would <laughs> that would motivate me. <laughs> yeah. I would love to read it, so I'll definitely keep bothering you about that. <laughs> What else do you have planned for writing? No, I know that when we talked, you had mentioned wanting to write another book. And so has there been much progress? Well, there's certainly progress in the back of my mind. So I would really like to write um, a book this time, English, on um, exemplars of positive disintegration. So, for example, we referred uh, briefly to uh, Greta Krumberg. Do you, do you recognize her name? Greta Krumberg? I do. Um, yeah, I okay. think, like here, we would call her like, Greta Thunberg. So we talked about her being an interesting example also of positive maladjustment. And, and in my uh, workshops and stuff like that, I use a lot of examples because that's the way we learn uh, more, more intensely. And, and also it's a, it's a better way to learn about abstract theory when you don't have um, an academic goal. <laughs> so I think it would be great to create such a book. Um, I'm thinking about starting with a crowdfunding campaign. So uh, that's my first practical sort of steps that I will take and uh, also to, 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 to learn uh, from other people what, what they need when it comes to learning about positive disintegration. Because I've had a lot of people asking me, do, are you writing a book or are you, uh, do you have um, the attention to do so? And I feel it's important for me to understand what they want to understand. Also because I've been working with the theory for almost like 12 years now. So, you know, if you work with something for 12 years, it's sometimes difficult to even see what another person doesn't know about it. Uh, so yeah, that's my first step in this process. That's great. That's, <laughs> and it's very necessary. I mean, we only have Michael's exemplars right now, you know, and I share them with people, but that's something that we really need is more examples of what the theory looks like at different levels. And and I would say, like, as, as important as it is to show um, multi-level development, I think that it would be great, too, if somebody would write about unilevel development, too, because, I mean, the majority of people in the world are in, like, a unilevel process, and we don't have much about that. I don't know. I think that we need more all around. Yeah, I think that even that could be a very interesting and important invitation for somebody to think about writing a book indeed about unilevel development also because that would make it possible to connect Dabrowski's insights maybe to more mainstream psychology 
not to reduce the complexity of Dabrowski's view, but maybe to engage others in understanding what he was, how he was understanding human development and emotional and moral development. And I, I think that it could inspire a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists, other people working in that field, uh, but also others to re-understand, so to speak, pathology from a developmental point of view. And I think that is very much lacking nowadays. So yeah, somebody listening, wanting to create a book on junior level development, please <laughs> do so. <laughs> That's right. There's an invitation. In your work with complex people, do you find if you do discuss Dabrowski's theory and particularly the positive disintegration aspect that it tends to resonate with people who are particularly complex, that they've sort of been through these disintegrative processes and they can kind of go, aha, that's what's happening to me or that's happened to me in the past? Yeah, particularly when we understand the complexity as something that also always implies self-awareness. This, so the self-awareness or self-evaluation or self-questioning that raises the complexity also of one's emotional development, uh, but also the potential of it. I think these people would resonate intensely with what Dabrowski is talking about. And also those that are in that moment experiencing a crisis, of course, be that an existential crisis or something uh, often triggered by, for example, a, a great loss of somebody that they, that they loved or uh, something that was more triggered internally. Uh, but those are probably the persons that are all a bit more self-aware in that sense. So yeah, so somebody in, in, an, in a crisis or somebody that is you know, self-aware and is struggling and um, doesn't see that self-awareness reflected as something potentially in a positive way, guiding one's emotional development mirrored in other approaches. This was great. I knew that you were going to be a great guest. Thank you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. And it was, I mean, I, again, think it's so cool that we are representing three continents in this episode. So thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Lottie. It's been great because um, also, too, I think what you've been saying about, you know, complex people and giftedness is really going to speak to a lot of people. So I really appreciate having you on. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, yeah, it's it's indeed great to know that we have all these different continents. So Dabrowski is traveling around the world. This is what we want. <laughs> all right. If we're going to find all the people that this speaks to, we've got to sweep an 8 million person haystack. So, you know, we're doing our part. Thank you to Chris for joining me again. Pleasure as always. It is. Thank you. And thank you listeners for joining us. We appreciate you as well. If you've got any questions, feedbacks or topics you would like us to cover, please get in contact with us. You can email us at positivedisintegration.pod at gmail.com or you can look us up and follow us on Twitter or Instagram. And until next time, keep walking that path to your authentic self.